Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, we are joined by Mike O'Hagan. Mike has been living in the Philippines for about the last 11 years, and I have known him actually for most of that time. Mike is well-versed in the outsourcing industry. He has been hosting tours to the country, uh, hosting entrepreneurs that come to see the Philippines and the opportunities for them in outsourcing. Uh, and the tours are quite well revered. And Mike also runs Shore 360, uh, which is an outsourcing firm based in Clark. So he has his finger on the pulse when it comes to outsourcing. It was a really good conversation, as always. Enjoyed chatting to Mike and uh, getting his views on things. And I'm sure you will find this interesting. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over three thousand outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over five million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Michael Hagen, welcome back to the show. It's been such a long time and also you've actually just returned back into the country. So I'm super excited to catch up with you and hear everything that you've been up to and and get the lowdown on the outsourcing, on the world of outsourcing, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Derek. It's uh, great to be back, uh, back in the Philippines. Uh, I've only been out of quarantine for about three days, so I'm still getting my feet and sorting out what's what and wearing my mask all the time and everything You're else. fresh. It's great to You're be fresh. back. That's great, Mike. It, it's like the, the podcast is like your your welcoming party and it's it's great to have you on as soon as you're you're quarantined and free. Um, Mike, what have you been doing? So first, Mike, for the audience uh, who aren't yet fans of yours, um, do you want to introduce who you are and what you do and, and what you've been doing in the Philippines the last decade or so? Yeah, well, uh, in Australia, I was fairly well known as the founder and owner of a 
moving business called Mini Movers, which I had for 38 years. Um, I actually sold that business about four years ago, but just over a decade, decade ago on the back of the GFC, that business had a bit of trouble um, with financially. The market had collapsed on it and, and uh, our, we had red ink. And I used the uh, Philippines to, to rescue the business, to turn it around, uh, turn it from a massive great loss into a profit in about a five-month period back-ending it all into the Philippines. And at that stage, I it worked so well for me, I started sharing that with my other fellow entrepreneurs around the place and various organisations I belong to. And that grew into a what became quite famous, I think, in some ways, as a Mike's business to, tours in the Philippines. So I had nearly 500 uh, foreigners uh, from all countries all around the world came came on my tour in, in Manila and Clark, uh, three days intensive, visiting about uh, 15 to 20 different places, all sorts from manufacturing through to staff leasing to corporate in all the different varieties of, of, of offshoring and outsourcing solutions and looking at what works and what doesn't work. So that's my background. I was doing that, for did that for since 2010 up until COVID. COVID shut me down very quickly. Yeah. No travel. That's it. So... That's, that's yeah, your, your tours were a little bit uh, legendary, Mike, and I was uh, lucky enough to join a good two or three or four of them, tagging on, tagging along to a couple of them. Um, and obviously, you know, it was all shut down. And like for the last two and a, two years, there's been no foreigner touch touch foot in in the Philippines. So obviously, that's you know had a big impact for you know for your tour, but also I assume obviously the Philippines, but also people that are exploring outsourcing, they've probably postponed it if they're not able to get over here. You know, how, how have you seen that impact the outsourcing industry? And do you think that everyone is now just sort of moving over to digital and it doesn't really matter? Or how do you see the impact? No, I um, look, I've had a couple of major clients still move during the COVID, but they didn't move into the Philippines. Uh, one client went into Malaysia and Actually, two or three other clients, I think three now, went into Vietnam with some pretty big numbers. So some of the other countries have done well out of the shutdown in the Philippines. Um, I know those countries shut down as well, but they were still fairly friendly to their uh, foreign business owners. Um, uh, the Philippines was a little bit tougher. Uh, I can understand why they were tough. I've got no problem with that, but I think they lost a lot of business. The, the industry has had a huge surge. Um, we went through a J-curve, like everything. The first few months of shutdown, saw a lot of clients in trouble if they're in the travel industry and stuff like that. Uh, that had a down curve, and then a few months later, all of us, everybody I know, all the outsourcing, all, most of the different solutions just literally took off, and it's been a huge push. And um, sadly, uh, countries like Vietnam were able to step up with better offers in the Philippines in some ways, better, certainly better tax incentives than we're getting at the moment. And uh, that they, they managed to cash in on it probably a bit more than they did here. But sad. I'm sure it'll turn around, though. Well, um, how, how like, so, like, Vietnam travel was allowed or, you know, how, how were they sort of opening the doors more than the Philippines? Like, Actually, really don't know. I haven't been involved in the negotiations and where they did them. But I, I do know that two clients did manage to get into Vietnam. I don't know right. how they did it, but they managed to get in there. Um, Thailand, of course, was very, very friendly. You could easily get in there. They opened up pretty early. But uh, they just got in there and, um, and uh, as I said, the incentives in Vietnam are pretty amazing at the moment and, and they managed to cash in on those pretty good. Pretty reasonable size operations, but both of them had a few hundred seats. So there's, uh, there's really a lot of countries going after the 
the the outsourcing crown now like uh, Fiji is pursuing it South Africa is really going for it Jordan is going for it um, Jamaica is going for it obviously Vietnam is going for it Eastern Europe's going for it you know many many countries in in there uh, it's you know I think there's going to be a lot of competition now and you know as you say like a lot of tax incentives a lot of government support for for getting this kind of global economy going uh do you see uh, headwinds for the philippines you know and having said that like in the last two years the philippines has expanded incredibly you know there, there's been an enormous um influx of outsourcing clients they obviously haven't physically been able to come here but there's obviously been an influx but uh yeah do you see headwinds against the philippine established outsourcing industry now I think in the longer term, the Philippines is still going to be the golden boy in, in around because, you know, it's the English language is so predominant. The Americanization, they, they lend into that very, very well. And their education system has been okay. A bit scared about the fact that they just had two years with no face-to-face. That's a bit of a worry. Um, short term, what's happening is uncertainty. You know, they, they announced some, some pretty aggressive tax and I know for an absolute fact that one very large client for 500 definitely went to another country because of the announcement. And then just before that tax was brought in, they reversed it and dropped it because uh, this was the, uh, the VAT thing. Um, it was just, and they dropped it. And what I'm, the problem with that is uncertainty. It, we can't sort of sort of go one way, say something, and there's lots of political statements which are creating uncertainty. That uncertainty, I'm sure, will disappear. I think uh, it'll just settle down and... And, and with the right leadership, and, and uh, it'll just it'll disappear. Them, the Philippines will always be there. It's it's always it's got very low wages. It's got the English language. It's it's Christian based society. It's very very similar core values to most other countries. Those are all big ticks that most of those other ca- countries you mentioned can't tick. Yeah, yeah, and the tour then it it um, you know it was a bit legendary. And are you? You're going to bring that back, and where do you see the like? When's that going to be back? Do you think we, it'll probably be another six, six, twelve months? Because huh? I mean, uh, you know, I, there's I travel hoping, happening, but it's not easy yet, is it? It's not easy I would, to travel. I would like to hope that six to twelve months, and we'll be back. I, I hope the Domicon that we've got now is the end of it. Most countries are letting it go, letting it go through their community. Uh, it doesn't seem to be uh, as bad as the other ones and it looks like it's working um and that's when we'll come back but i'm not predicting anything because because as everybody knows we've all gone through very unpredictable times you know um 22 months ago i um, jumped on a plane and headed down to australia flew i while i was up in the air australia put the quarantine things in place i flew into quarantine i then flew into also closed borders and couldn't get out of the country and at the same time, the Filipinos are actually making it hard for me to get back in. So I've sat in Australia for 22 months and uh, got back now. And I'm not predicting when for anybody, honestly, because this time last year, we were the same as what we were now. We thought it was all over. Okay, then Delta rolled through, then Omicron in behind it. So there, no, 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 no. Nobody's predicting anything here. We are hanging, hanging in where we are and hoping we'll get somewhere that's not as crazy as what it is. Yeah, and are you are you finding that with the with in the last two years and this move towards remote work and work from home and sort of tech enabled work, 
uh, have you found that a lot more people are exploring outsourcing? You know, there's also the labor shortage, there's the great resignation um, and soaring salaries. And, you know, I think all of this is a perfect storm for, for offshoring. Have you seen a lot of that in the Australian market or beyond? It's really interesting. You know, it, it's, there's a lot of focus on cheap wages. And, and I've got to say that the vast majority of my clients that I brought to the Philippines didn't really come here because of cheap wages. They really came here because of shortages, you know, wherever they are. And, and I'd like to say that so I had a friend of mine who runs a business uh, with accountants into other countries and into Australia, that if you're in a country town in Australia and things are booming, your chances of getting an accountant to work for you in that little town are nearly nothing. And uh, therefore, a lot of those uh, types of businesses jumped into offshoring because it was so easy to do and the cost was a, a side benefit. I think we're seeing that now. I agree totally there's a perfect storm right now. Staff shortages. Uh, there's been a... Look, Derek, the Great, the Great Depression lasted about four years and the whole core belief in our societies went on for two or three other generations, became very, very conservative. My, I'm in my 60s. My parents said to me, be very careful. Get a job for the government, a job for life. Be careful how you borrow money. Make sure you pay your house off. Now, that thought all came from four years of Great Depression. We've just had four years or are about to have a similar period of massive disruption with this with this uh, COVID thing. And I think we're going to see a quantum shift in the way people think as a result. I think uh, uh, the younger people coming through are not going to be as long-term thinking. They're going to be more short-term, live for today. I know that the ones in what they thought were poor jobs, not really good jobs, fairly low paid, maybe the boss is not that good, and then along come COVID and they said it's all too much for me, so they've resigned. I think that's causing right around the whole world, including the Philippines, is actually got big problems there, or a change in things. I don't think it's a problem, it's a big change. I think resignations are causing it, and, um, and of course, wages spiralling up and everything else are also going to feed. You, you are seeing uh, a massive surge to offshoring, no doubt about that at all. It's offset a bit with, um, with technology. Um, AI, of course, is a, is a threat to the lower... Uh, more uh, automated jobs, the, the more process-driven. Now, process-driven offshoring is really 20 years old now. The last 10 years, it's been us SMEs coming into the market, and we're not after process workers. We're after smart workers that can think and, and make a decision, and we're after multi-skilled people. We need, we, you know, when I moved my transport business to the, moved the back end to the, to the Philippines, I moved phone sales, I moved marketing, I moved payroll, I moved accountancy, I moved a whole lot of different skills and put them all in one office, and that worked brilliantly. And so I think there's a different type of worker needed for that, one that's a little more proactive in its thinking um, and more skilled than what they have been in the past. So I, I think all that's coming together, and it's just still going to grow on, no problem at all. Yeah, it's it's more of a staff augmentation model now, isn't it? And you know, you can literally bring over any any role, and sort of entire organisations are being built in the Philippines now with uh, with just whoever's necessary in the localised uh, locations. It's it's becoming. It's all about building a team now. It's about putting the team together in one office, sharing space, 
sharing tacit, developing tacit knowledge, everybody sharing off, having the salesperson talking to the accountant, talking as you would in your workplaces wherever you come from. Same, same here. And that's where the real big growth has been here. It's in that area. And it's into the SME market. SME market was always a lot bigger than the corporate market. The industry was dominated by the corporate market for many years. Now it's the SMEs a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger market. They want, and they're building teams, multi-skilled teams, you know, construction companies with uh, with architects, with drafting, with, with engineers, with civil engineers, electrical engineers, uh, accounting, payroll people, uh, all sitting together in the same office, all working for the one company with their brand and everything else, but all done from the Philippines to whatever country they are in the world. It's a really brilliant model, and that's that's where we're seeing the big explosion. Yeah, yeah, so powerful. Uh, and what is your take on the work from home versus work from office, specifically in well, global? And then let's zoom in on the Philippines. And is it any different? Like, what do you think about the trends globally of of everything working at home in the next ten years? Do you think it's going to be, you know, universal? Where do you see it heading? Um, the higher skill set people, the more qualified people, I think are going to work from home or work from wherever they are with quite a lovely lifestyle. The lower skilled people uh, or um, experienced people are going to need to be in office space and will be pulled back into office space. Um, you still need that office working together. It was interesting to see a lot of the big ones talk about work from home, and then suddenly they said, oh, no, 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 we actually need a hybrid. And then they started calling people, and then another wave of COVID came through and it pushed them back out. There's no doubt that in the Philippines, the Filipinos are very, very scared of COVID, very scared of COVID, and they feel safer at home than they do in the office environment. So right now they are arguing, fighting with their, their bosses to stay at home, and um, I think that'll go away when COVID disappears. Now, those clients, and I do know a lot of them and I've talked to a lot of them, nearly every single client is pushing to pull them back into the office. They've, they've now had them in the office, had them at home. They can now see the difference in levels of productivity. They can see some of the other issues that are coming up and they're going, bring them back in the office. We want in the office. And, of course, we've got surges coming through, so everybody's sitting in the middle, not sure which way to go. Threatens the shutdowns, all that stuff's still happening, so everybody's a bit pendulous. Long term, I reckon three, four years from now, everybody, most of them are going to be back in the office, unless you are a top gun coder, uh, computer coder, unless you're an architect or an engineer or some specific set of skills, in which case you'll be able to name your money, working for anybody anywhere, and sit on the beach while you're working. Yeah. Big change. It's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, Matt Mullenweg of Automatic or of WordPress, who has you know a, a sort of one of the original distributed teams, uh, he he warned against having a hybrid. He said, you know, you either have to be completely remote or or in the office because if you have a hybrid approach, then there are the people that are in the office. Are they going to get you know more promotions? Are they more visible and and so it can almost create a two-tier society. I, it's going to be it's it's going to be really complicated, isn't it? But what what I think is for certain is that you know it's going to open up Western businesses to a globalized employment concept instead of just hiring people locally, uh, and then that just opens up like the whole Pandora's box of of outsourcing, offshoring, and things. Yep. 
having your team or team members in a remote, more remote location, whether it's in the same country or different countries now, very, very accepted. And that, that was the big push a few years ago that wasn't happening, now it's accepted. The, whether those workers are together in an office space, sharing with each other and building things up or working from home is where the jury's out. And uh, I just know the productivity. It comes down to productivity at the end. And I know it comes down to cost. Work from home is theoretically a little bit cheaper, and uh, maybe. Um, um, probably not when you put the decent internet connection in, but um, um, it's it's yeah it's it's you're not getting that that knowledge sharing and everything the same. They just can't do it when they all work from home when they're remote. It's it's a different it's a different ball game. And the Philippines has a, another disadvantage there. Where unfortunately, a lot of their houses and a lot of their living conditions are not suitable for work from home. I know their power is a bit of a problem, uh, internet's a bit wobbly, but inside their houses are particularly small, lots of people in them. It's a lot more difficult than it probably is in the Western world. And uh, as I said before, if you're a high-end architect or something, I've been, I've just spent the last 22 months on the Gold Coast in Australia. There's a massive surge of people coming to the Gold Coast because if you're a, you know, you're, an, you're a lawyer, a top-notch lawyer, and you don't longer have to live in Sydney or Melbourne. You can just go and live on the Gold Coast now and still work. And we're seeing that. There's another big push there. So this COVID thing has changed the way all that works. No doubt about that at all. You know, and I, I do worry for city centres, like if people are going to be working rurally or you know whether there is lower density like what's going to happen to all these city centers and with the commercial property space um it's going to change the whole dynamics and someone's got to lose their shirt if there's if there's a big down market uh, in that you know like new york right. is it is it going to survive those changes have been here forever they're all normal changes you know back in 18 uh, 1908 or thereabouts the motor car completely changed the world in a 15-year period. It decimated the horse and cart industry. It also changed all the cities and the roads and everything all at the same time. There was this massive great change because of the motor car. This You're seeing it again now. You're right. And it's all natural. It's a natural change with technology, connectivity, and everything else. We no longer need those CBDs the way they are. I certainly wouldn't be buying office space in there, that's for sure. Yeah. It's just they've costed themselves out of the market in a market that is easy to do somewhere else. So cost alone is doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? But, mm. you know, so you're going to see these these ghost towns like in old Detroit, you know, where where these once powerful cities because they housed all of the Wall Street bankers and, you know, advisories and law firms and things like that. It's going to be like a kind of washed out Detroit in another 20 years. Yep. Unless, unless there's some sort of gentrification and, and rents drop and people enjoy the city vibe and the social aspects of it, there's going to be a lot of headwinds. Yeah, there's, there's, one of the things that unfortunately happens is the unknown that we don't uh, allow for suddenly changes at all as society steps in the other direction. That's another thing it does very, very well as well. Mm. You know, so, Mike, you've, you've been educating people about uh, outsourcing now for... Uh, for, you know, over a decade. Gosh, long time, huh? So when? Since about 2008 or nine or something? Uh, 2000, late 2009, 2010 I started here. I've lived in the Philippines for 11 years now. And um, 
what what is the awareness of how has it changed over that time you know especially in australia now that you've been back there for a little while are people more aware of it are people um you know because what i what i envisage is that 10 years ago everyone had well people weren't even aware then you move into the stage of awareness but people need education about how it works and then eventually everyone will be fully aware of it everyone will be fully educated and it's really just them then selecting their offshore partner um you know there's there's kind of a a sort of a, a process there where where is it is it happening are people more and more aware um, it's starting to happen. Uh, there's no doubt that in the early tours, people were on the, at the end of the first day, all of the early tours, the comment was, wow, I never thought or that realised you could do that sort of stuff here. And that was the big, huge comment. Even though they'd come to the Philippines to come on tour, they kind of knew what they were coming into. They never realised the sort of roles that the Filipinos were doing. And we used to, you know, visit some pretty interesting places. One place was doing work for... Uh, the New Zealand government and the Australian government, and it was just draw-dropping that things like that were being done up here. Um, and that was the big realisation. And then um, it wasn't about cost. They already knew that, that before they arrived. Um, and as they moved around, they realised then it's it's about moving, you know, should we be in Manila or should we be, be in a provincial area? Um you know, do I hire them inexperienced and train them or do I hire them experienced? These are much more dis- bigger decisions or the, probably the real decisions that people need to make. That became more obvious to people as we went through recruiting and selection and testing them, onboarding them, training them, engaging, managing them, getting them motivated, keeping them together as a team. And then, of course, reducing turnover or churn, which has become a headache everywhere. And, of course, wages are spiralling at the moment as well. Those things are coming through as being the more things that are more relevant now than did you know you could do this in the Philippines? That's sort of disappearing very, very quickly. Yeah. Are people seeing it more as a level playing field now, like people in Australia and the US, like they're not so surprised that these jobs are being done? It's more just, I suppose it's being more normalised, is it? You know, Australia's really interesting. I, When I first came here in 2010, I was absolutely determined as a business owner from Australia, there was no way known I was going to put the Filipinos accent on the phones and anywhere near my customer. I had a real attitude about that and seriously did. And then I was in trouble with the bank and the bank was doing things to me. It was forcing me to do reports and threatening me. And one day I just made a snap decision. I'll move sales up. And uh, my managers all, you know, went, oh, my IG, you know, and um, we um, moved sales up and we put them on and right from day one, the Filipino accent outconverted the Australians. Mm. And I realised that Australia's become more, although there's a lot of talk in Australia about overseas call centres, the reality is that when you find one, you accept it. And as long as they deal with you and deal with the problem and do it quickly and efficiently, you're as happy as anybody else and you don't care. So yeah, yeah. the only noise in the market, the reality is the market doesn't care that much. It just it wants whatever they rang up for, whatever they did, they want a solution, they want it now, they want it quickly, and if it's done that way, it's a winner. And, and it uh, speaks I, to it speaks to the power of a of a good process, doesn't it? You know, like an accent is one aspect of 
getting a job done well. And there's about another hundred other factors and you need them all sort of lining up and you need things being done well. And, and if the accent is a little bit different, it doesn't matter if things are, if there's a good process behind it, you know, good scripting, good, whatever, good team, uh, good initiative, good emotion. Um, you know, there's so many, so many factors and there's so many accents in every country now anyway you know there's no such thing as sort of an anglo accent although i suppose there is a little bit in in australia still but it's interesting um, that i want to look if you live here and you travel back to australia it's becoming more multicultural every trip there's no argument about that it's become very very multi and it's a wonderful society now very very multicultural the Look, I say to the clients that when you employ and develop a team in the Philippines, it's exactly the same as where you come from. It's no different. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, for instance, if you want a really top level employee uh, of specific skill sets, if you can't find them at home, you're probably going to find them just as almost as difficult to get here. You still, you know, they're not going to be on the street unemployed looking for a job. The good ones, this is the real good ones. You're going to have to head on them. You're going to have to making them a good salary to get them uh, offered to get across to you, and you're going to have to work those strings. It's no different. And then when you bring them in, you've got to really build a workplace that people want to come to every day that's friendly, happy, non-threatening, rewarded well, and it's just a happy, fun place to be. And if you can do that, it's going to be good. And I did that when I came up. It was a natural part of what I did. So a lot of the core stuff that I did in my other business, which was, you know, always answer the phone, answer it quickly, give them a solution. We trained our people here exactly the same way, and it was seamless. It worked across really well. When you develop structured processes and you're going to use them in another country and you're going to do it differently and more rigid and more fixed, then it becomes very, very hard, and that's when you, I see start to see failures. You're not yeah. engaging the team. You've got to you've got to engage these people and have them as part of your operation. You can't just throw processes at them and stand back out of the way. Yeah, we uh, we had a client that was uh, veterans health disability claims in the US, and it was talking about sort of mental health, and uh, you know these were some pretty complex clients and. The Filipinos were, were managing all of the most sensitive aspects and they were outperforming their US colleagues, their US counterparts. And you know, so if you have a if you have a good process, there's no limit to to what you can do to what process and and you can outperform. It uh, but it, it but it also takes time, it takes training. You know, you, processes don't just kind of happen, do they? It takes a lot of engineering. And with your business, Mike, you were you were continually engineering it, weren't you? You know, you were continually iterating, engineering, improving. I had some very set ways around how businesses evolve and and continue to evolve, but they're a changing thing. There, I think you do eighty percent the same way every time. Twenty percent should be experimenting with new things because everything's changing, and and you've got to stay on the leading edge of changing and evolving. And you're seeing a massive change now with the shortage of people. Uh, in the blue collar area, and I, I don't think there's any country in the world that's not short of truck drivers right now because they nearly all resign. <laughs> and right. um, those workplaces are going to have to change dramatically. So it's change is normal, it really is, and it's coming through. Um, just talk a little bit about opportunities now because I see massive opportunities for Western business entrepreneurs. Uh, to to build things in the Philippines, but specifically, there's massive opportunities in training. Mm. And training specifically, training Filipinos into a specific niche 
maybe an industry niche or a software solution niche. If you get in and you train them up specifically and countrify them for a country and get them in the groove, then they're very easy to sell and you can build enormous businesses doing that very, very well. Shaw 360, whilst we're not directly in that, Shaw 360 is a business that we set up a few years ago. It's gone from zero to a thousand employees. Uh, we've sort of, I think we've nailed the recruiting thing a bit more and the relationship with the client a bit more than, than some of the others, but we've pushed it through and um, it's it's about, it's, it's, it's uh, sorry, I'm, it's pushing that niche thing. Most of our clients are all in this little niche business. They are training the Filipinos up for the niche, selling them out there, and it's growing. And the other half the business or three quarters of businesses, then building their teams in place. They're multi-level teams like the construction companies, and oh, we've got so many different types of businesses. Amazing. Um, got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I I really like that angle. You know, like um, if there aren't Filipinos that are all ready to go and you've got to train them up and they might need local licensing or they might need significant experience or you know on the job training um, people see it as an impediment and it, it's just a no-go but actually it's it's a huge strategic moat isn't it you know if you if you put in the hard yards up front uh, and spend months training these people you will be the only person in the market with these skilled people and while it is an impediment at the beginning, it can actually be a, a huge strategic advantage once you have that position. Uh, and, you know, if, if conversely, you know, if the market was just awash with whoever you want, then you've pretty much lost any competitive advantage because it indicates that everyone else is already doing it anyway. It's, uh, it's interesting. Kind of like accountants. Like now everyone has accountants, you know. Uh, the, the 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 kind of margins gone there. Yeah, look, you've got to stand it above everybody in business, no matter where you are. And every party of business has got to stand up. And I I learned a long time ago that you'll you'll generally have lower wages and a hell of a lot more loyalty and less staff churn if you bring in the lesser experienced people and train them to do it. And then they're all doing it your way. Mm. And if they're doing it your way, that's the way you want it done, and it works a lot better. So I. My moving business in Australia was very successful because we owned the trucks and we employed people on wages, so there was a massive pool of people to choose from. We only employed completely inexperienced people and trained them because it was only our way of doing it. But as I said, that meant we could pay lower wages and had a, a higher loyalty level uh, from those staff, and we were delivering outstanding work. And delivering outstanding work, customers all rave about you and you get more work, and it all goes round and round in circles. So it's a key factor. There's a lot of people coming into the Philippines and saying, look, we want experience, we want experience. And I'm going, man, you're heading forwards a train crash. If you just want to just experience people and you're, you're all you're getting is leftovers from another business that aren't there for a reason, mm. and that's not a good place to be. You're better off creating these people to be outstandingly better than anybody else, holding them into your business and not letting the others get them. That's a better way to go without yeah. Yeah, and again, like so many so many outsourcing strategies, they're really it's just business, isn't it? You know, it applies to Australia or the US, as you say. It's uh, same, same, you know, same. It's no different. It's yeah. exactly no different. You know, I mean, when we first came here in Australia, in our we had a call center, we had sixty people in our in a head office in Australia to give in nearly five hundred people on trucks moving furniture. That's an idea of the scale of what we were doing, and. Um, 
when we um, we we learned a long time ago down there not to hire salespeople but to hire people with other skill sets and train them to do our selling. When we came first came to the Philippines, we made exactly that mistake. We hired experienced Filipino salespeople and we had endless problems with them at the start because of wild workout. Just do it the same way we've always done it. Bring in the less lower experienced people with the core competencies, the ability to speak and be understood and those things, and then train them and we're going to win her again. And it was the same. So the key to all of this is in people and training. If you can nail people and trailing, offshoring is going to work for you brilliantly. The funny thing is, in your own business, in your own country, if you haven't nailed people in training, you're going to have problems there anyway. Same, same thing. I think I think one of the big issues, and, it, you know, it's complexity of business, isn't it? Like when you're dealing with one person, it's harder. When you have scale, when you've got a team of 5, 10, 15, 50, 100, there's a lot more iteration. Then you're looking at the statistics and the numbers and, you know, and then also the, the, the kind of weaker ones will be able to bounce off the stronger ones and improve. And whereas if you're a startup and you come over here and you, you are just getting one staff member and they really need to be the best staff member possible ever found in the universe, then you, it's all hinging on the success of this one person. You know, and and probably if it goes wrong, then the whole business is sunk. And, you know, you can't have so much reliance on one singular employee. It, it could happen, but statistically there's as much chance that it won't happen, you know. Whereas when you have a bigger team, there's a lot more kind of cushioning to it, isn't there? Oh, without doubt. Listen, the danger of one is a huge problem. And I have seen so many startups crash and burn because they haven't nailed the people side of it. They get very, very inside. A lot of them are specifically tech businesses. They get this idea for an app or an online platform. They're going to grow it, and they don't realize that in behind it, you're still going to need people to, to row. Everybody's still, still going to have people driving it and, and working in it, and they need to build those teams properly. And they come up, they hire one, they try and get them, they try and get unicorns, which is just so many, you know, I want somebody that can code in this language, but also know accountancy, which is also this. And they're like, no, unicorns, you won't find them, okay? <laughs> you yeah, really won't. Yeah. And, and then they find somebody's close to it, so he's half quite good at anything, and then they get half built, and then they up and leave, and then it all goes crash around them. So the whole strategy around building a team, underlying team, not one person, and getting that team to work is, is really important. And that's what... The tool was teaching, and that's what I've been teaching. And by the way, I'm still with the tool, not working. I'm still talking to a lot of people online and talking it through it. Um, I'm happy to do that. I just I don't even charge for it. I've always had a great passion for bringing business to the Philippines, and and, and I happily go out there. But these are all normal things in my ears. You know, people ringing me up saying I'm a startup and I want one person. I go, mate, that's a problem. It's not going to work. You're going to have all sorts of issues. You need to do that, and and. and those things are all normal, and uh, it's just that it's this about people. You need, and you've got to have your, your fallbacks when somebody leaves. Somebody else has got to be able to step in the hole. You're right about business size, by the way. I've got to tell you that the awkward one in the very start is one of the first bits, big problems. The next one's probably five to seven staff, but once you get over about twenty, it becomes easier. But from an owner's point of view, over a hundred, it's a piece of cake, and. You know, I've got many movers I had up to 500 at one stage and um, sure we're up to 1,000 and it's so much easier. All I deal with them nowadays in my business, and I own, by the way, five other businesses in, in various different areas, real estate support, um, 
uh, all sorts of different in integration and all sorts of stuff we're doing. Those businesses, all I do as the owner is I sit on top of them dealing with the management, direct deals or just management people, nothing below that, and that's when life becomes really easy. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, huh? I, I, I did a little mini tour with a friend. She uh, is a business owner. She had an accounting firm and, uh, you know, she she had her sort of particular angle, her magic sauce and uh, came over here and, you know, she needed to to access cheaper stuff. And, and then by the end, she actually, you know, she resolved that she's got no magic sauce compared to these people and, and she actually ended up, uh, going home and selling the business because she felt she had no competitive moat anymore. You know, when you actually come to the Philippines and you see the capability of the Filipino accountants, these are not sort of people that you think, okay, I can tuck these people under my wing and help them along a bit. You know, it's a highly sophisticated industry and great accounting practitioners in the Philippines. And she was just so sort of, uh, you know, fundamentally perturbed by it that she she just got out of the industry like she felt there was no future it's it's crazy it's huh? pretty rare for anybody to come on tour to have the same business plan at the end of the tour as they had at the start they yeah. all came in with specific ideas what they thought they were going to do i used to ignore all that and just run my tour i had a very structured set to how i used to do it and at the end on the last day we used to do reform a thing called a one-page business plan and they all, during the tour, in those three days, they completely changed how they were doing things. They just saw opportunities they never knew existed, uh, ways to change the whole business. And some of them were spectacular. I've got companies that came on my tour that ended up building buildings here and filling them up with Filipinos. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some huge, huge things that came out of it. And I can tell you, those guys who had no intention of that before they came on the tour, they had a very limited idea what they thought they were going to do and the possibilities, how clever they are, how trainable they are, how quickly they learn, uh, and the wonderful nature of the Filipino, the wonderful friendly nature are all things that really changed how they thought they could do things. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Fascinating. And uh, so uh, the tours, Mike, do you see Do you see a digital future for, for Mike's tours? You know, one of the first things we did when I went back and got caught in Australia was, all right, I'll take it online. But three days, starting at 6 in the morning, finishing at 8 o'clock at night, three days intense of visiting 20 different places, it's very hard to bring that thought back to something that you would sit and watch digitally. That, you yeah. Know, that's a lot of hours, and it's like it was like drinking from a fire hose. There was that much information coming at you, and it was influencing you all over the place. Um most of it you weren't expecting. I would never give anybody the the um, agenda of where we were going. They never knew what was coming next. It was all set up specifically to do that. And we just couldn't digitize it. I just couldn't bring it back to the digital world. I think it's still going to exist as a, as, a, um, as, as a tour. You have to come see, smell, touch, and walk around some of these workplaces to suddenly get it. And then put that in perspective your own business and realise in your own industry even and realise where the opportunities are in your industry and then that'll, that'll come. So I couldn't do it from a digital point of view. We tried very hard even if we thought, oh, we'll make a whole lot of little modules, but nobody's going to watch all the modules. You, you really need to be, it's like going to a conference. You go to a conference, you hear a lot of things. The new digital conferences kind of haven't been the same. I know they're no. there, but they're not quite the same. 
It's very difficult to replicate, isn't it? You know, and just just that sort of the as you say, the blending of the social element and the excitement of being in a new country element, and you know, if you're just sitting for thirty six hours watching a Zoom video, it's uh, yeah. it's hard to stay engaged with that. Isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And where are you seeing any future trends, Mike? Like in terms of you know, there's a lot of talk about AI and automation, and what about human in the loop, and um, you know, kind of. Uh, Anything, anything there? Well, you see I, big changes. Look, I think while 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 a big group of countries in the world have such high wages, and a group of countries in the world have such low wages, and the education system stays pace, the entrepreneurs of this world will invent the businesses to fill those spaces. You know, um, uh, and. I, I built mini movers or built my moving business on the back of a huge surge into the service sector when the manufacturing sector in Australia got decimated in the in the mid eighties. In the mid eighties, the Chinese manufacturing came along and decimated the Australian manufacturing industry. And guys like me came along and looked at the human capital that's available, looked at the needs in the market, looked at the increasing disposable incomes in the market, and realised, you know what, where people used to move themselves, I'm actually going to offer them a service that. They'll get somebody else to do it. And those people that were working in the manufacturing all moved over into the service sector and tr- and moved up. And that trends, I think that's just going to happen. I don't know where it's going to be, but the entrepreneurs of this world will find the surpluses and be able to glue them together and create a product or a, uh, a value add, and then they'll fill them up. And I think it's always going to be like that. It's going to be mm. different, though. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be different. What I find, you know, and I have also lived in the Philippines for about eight years, and you kind of get used to how many people you see around. Uh, I, I was in Silicon Valley uh, for about two months, a few months ago, and, you know, it is amazing how few staff are in any shop or facility or hotel, uh, you know, and everything is trimmed and optimized so much because every staff member is so prohibitively expensive. And so it means that you have entire, you know, hotels with hundreds of rooms run by about three people. It's just Mm -hmm. incredible. And I can't help but think there's so many opportunities for these businesses to have a hybrid approach where everything that is back-end is managed by offshore staff, you know, and you work really hard to to divide the jobs into, you know, what needs to be done physically present and what can be done offshore. And there still isn't a lot of that, despite, you know, these businesses basically cutting every staff member possible. Um, you know, it's even if even if you're paying really significant hotel room rates, there's still about two people in the entire hotel. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well they're all and that needs and and I see massive opportunities in health, um, old age, the Filipino nature feeds those very, very easy. And once again, that stuff will be done from offshore. And, you know, at the moment we're having to, our old age homes have got huge staff issues and too many staff and they'll have a lot less, but Filipinos remotely will be doing a lot of it and stepping into those holes. No doubt about that at all. That stuff's all going to change. Mm-hmm. And opportunities will be great. And but you know, at the end of the day, our society that we know now requires employment or work 
to generate the economy to feed your family, and that's the model that we have. I don't think that model's going to change for a while. It's got flaws, no argument about that, but it's the only model. And every time you see a big disaster or a natural big, or even things like COVID come through, at the end of the day, everybody still got out of bed in the morning and tried to go to work or tried to get work of some sort because they needed money to get food to feed the family. And that little cycle's still there. Yeah, yeah. Some things change fast, and then some other things don't don't really don't really change that much, do they? It's a, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of the foundations. I, the I really like the motor car. Go and look at the motor car because the motor car caused a lot of things. You know, did you know New York New York City had a massive pollution problem before the motor car? They had they had so many so many horsemen. They were so congestion. They had so many horses in, in New York City that they they. they the, the, the poo and the urine yeah. and everything from the horses was creating a huge disease problem in the city. And yeah. serious, this is dead set true. And the motor car came along and fixed that whole problem. Yeah, they projected forward and said they'll have so much horse manure that it would literally bury these cities That's right. you know, when they projected forward a few hundred years. And, of course, then they have, they didn't see the motor car. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all well, like the... I said that today when they're running around saying we've got too many people or we don't have enough people and we've projected for all the population's going to get too old. This is going to happen because the population's getting old. And I think to myself, well, what happens if we bring in a couple of million young people as immigrants? That whole thing gets chucked out the window. So these changes will happen. What you think is coming, yeah, it's, it'll sidestep your watch. Yeah. The Empire State Building was built and it has that big spire on the top because mm-hmm. that was that was the docking station for the the zephyr the um those helium balloons or whatever you know yeah. and then so that was that was going to be the transport of the future and this this building was sort of built to 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 do that and then you know that went nowhere but yeah it's fascinating a bit like twin towers you have one big crash and suddenly the whole lot just suddenly takes off in another direction yeah crazy Crazy, yeah. Mike. Thanks so much. Super exciting, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come over to Clark and visit you soon. Uh, but if anyone wants to get in touch with you, Mike, how can they do that? Uh, look, my surname is my email, Mike at ohagan.com.au. So Mike at ohagan.com.au, uh, or you can pull me out on LinkedIn. You'll find me on LinkedIn easy enough, and message me through there. Uh, that's fine. Uh, that's the easiest way to contact me. And as I said before, I'm happy to chat with anybody, uh, do exactly what we're doing now and just knock ideas around or feed from what I'm seeing here. Uh, I've been teaching this for a number of years. I've seen a lot of things, nearly 500 people. I don't know how many jobs, maybe about thirty or 40,000 jobs as a result of my tour. Um, and we're going to be back. We will come back to the tour when things settle down. So I'm always here for anybody. Thank you. That was Mike O'Hagan. If you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And as always, if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.